Grace Baptist Church. It's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you so much for having us again. Um, we just really felt the love of Christ as soon as we walked in the door. So thank you for showing your lovely hospitality to Pastor Paul and his wife. Thank you also. Just before we begin, uh, let me open up with a word of prayer and just give this time over to the Lord and give this message and just surrender our hearts to him. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be able to be in this place as your church, as your church body. And so, Lord, as we come to the hearing of your word this morning, would you use me, would you keep me out of the way, would my words not be my own, and would our hearts all be open and receptive to what you have to speak to us this morning? So, God, we give this time over to you when we ask your blessing upon it, and that your word would be the only thing that has power in this room, and that your Holy Spirit would, would be the only voice we hear this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's about a year ago today, I think it's about a year ago today, um, I partook in a funeral slash visitation service for one of my friends at our church, and he recently lost his dad within the last year, and it was, it, it, it was heartbreaking for him. And so as he was, you know, we had the visitation. It's a small room. We walk in the doors, and there's all the family. There's him and his siblings and his mother. And there was like four to 500 people that just came by. And it was incredible because it was able to see, I was able to be encouraged by how many people this guy's life impacted. But part of the thing that impacted me the most was when I went up to speak to him, my friend directly, you know, losing a family member is not easy. <laughs> we all know that. But I'll never forget what stuck with me when I spoke to him. He said, honestly, this is the hardest moment of my life, to have to lay my, my parent to rest. But what he said was, in my suffering right now, I know the presence of Jesus. In his suffering, he knew the presence of Jesus was with him, that, the, that he encountered the presence of Christ in the midst of his trial. And so that's the topic of... That's the topic of our passage today, encountering God's presence. And so when you think about what God's presence looks like in your life, what would you say? You don't need to answer that out loud, but just think about that in your head. Actually, as a matter of fact, I had this question from a non-believer the other day. How do you know God is really with you? Or another question I had is, how can you worship a God who allows suffering and injustice? That caught me off guard. You know, like That's not an easy question to answer. It's easy to think about in our head, but has it taken root in our heart where we actually know that God's with us and we know that in the midst of pain and suffering and trial, that he's there. And so through, through today's passage, we're actually going to look at someone who experienced an encounter with God in the midst of his pain, in the midst of uncertainty, yet he rested in the promises that God made to him, which led to joyful worship and joyful praise. And so if you have your Bibles on, you open up to the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, whatever your pronunciation you guys like. I go by Habakkuk, but uh, we're not going to go through the whole book, because I don't think you guys want to hear me for three straight hours. But um, I think that as we move through it, we're going to touch on a, a few of the key passages, a few of the key highlights along the way. So as you're opening up there, just to give a little bit of context, that's this book. So Habakkuk was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, who lived during the days of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel. When the nation was split into two, there was the kingdom up to the north, which was Israel, and the kingdom to the south, which was Judah. And he was a prophet during times of extreme idolatry, extreme injustice. 
and the nation would in time see the rise of Babylon among the horizon. And so Habakkuk being a prophet, a prophet's role in the Old Testament was to bring the nation and its leaders back to the obedience of the Torah. And so if you know the Torah, it's the old covenant law that Moses had on Mount Sinai with God. And so this book is broken into two prophecies, essentially, or one prophecy in two parts. And so the first part is that God is about to bring judgment upon Judah by using this nation of Babylon as his instrument of punishment. And then it's God will also announce an overthrow to that nation itself. And so this book is a beautiful, a beautiful story of, of the prophet Habakkuk and just addressing God directly with his pain and just meeting God in those moments and hearing God respond to him. And just that lovely dialogue between creator and creation. And so the main point I want to stress today is that God calls us to an encounter with him, to encounter his presence in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our uncertainty. And so with that, what does that look like? I mean, it's easy to say, but what does that actually look like? Well, I want to start with point number one, which is this. Bring the pain directly to God. Bring the pain directly to God. The prophet did not call God. Yeah, bring the pain directly to God. Um, starting in verse 2. or Yeah, we'll start in verse 1, actually, of chapter 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked helm in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So what he's saying in verse 4, verse four this is Habakkuk's primary complaint to to kick off the passage, which is that the Torah is being neglected. It means that there's injustice and there's violence and corrupt leadership going on, around, going on all around him. And he's saying, God, do you even notice? Do you even care? This is your nation. This is your people. And yet all these things are happening. So what does he do with it, though? He, he addresses God directly. And how many of us can identify with verse 2? How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? My friends, are we in a season where our Lord seems silent? Where we call for help, but he doesn't seem to listen? Because this is the raw emotion of Habakkuk. He's not holding back. He knows that there's a God out there, that, that we worship a God ourselves, who can take that level of emotion. But how often, and I know I know for me personally, how often do we feel the shame and the guilt for praying this way? I should have all my emotions all, you know, all taken care of. Do we even think we can bring this kind of thing to God in the midst of our season of pain? Are we really in a season to question God? How dare we approach the, the throne of grace with our pain and emotions? No. My friends, we worship a God who loves us, who created us with emotion, who cares for us. And in these moments of pain is where we can encounter God. Even if he seems to be silent. In Isaiah chapter 45, it's a really interesting passage because it talks about, it's essentially a chapter of praise. But in the midst of that, this one verse really catches me off guard every time I read it. Truly you are a God who has been hiding himself. The God and Savior of Israel. So when terrible things happen in our lives, 
when we lose someone like my friend did or we're in the midst of financial crisis or whatever we're in, we can ask those questions. Where is he? God, why haven't you showed up in a way that I thought you would? Why does it seem like when there's loss, grief, mourning, that he's not there? Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he heal that person? These are questions I don't have answers to, but my friends, here's the point. It is biblically appropriate to bring your pain to God directly. Please hear that. It is biblically appropriate to bring your pain to God directly. Bringing your pain to God does not necessarily mean you don't trust him. And God doesn't ask us to lie or suppress the pains of what's going on in our life. He cares way too much about us for that. Part of us unleashing our emotions unto God is just for us being able to come to a realization of where we are. Because I know for myself who grew up as a person who just suppresses emotion, suppresses emotion, it's not healthy. It definitely wasn't healthy for me. When I was 18 years old, I lost my dad to a version of lung cancer. And this was actually a few months after I became a Christian. So I'm like, God, I, I literally gave you my life, and you take my father away from me? What are you doing? And for months, and man, I even say years, I did not process that well. I did not grieve. I did not take that journey of grief. Because it is a journey. It's not like an off and on switch. This is what it means to lament. And this is what Habakkuk's doing in his primary complaint is, is lamenting. Old Testament rabbis, or even New Testament rabbis, often refer to lament as what they call the language of the border. And what they mean by that is the words and groans that rise up out of the depths of our spirit when, you, when you're on the fence between what is and what should be. And the rabbis taught this version of lament and one that all of our emotions, everything that we have, it goes one direction, toward God alone. Lament is an evidence of an honest relationship with the Lord and a vision for his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Just look at our nation. Look at our city. Look at our lives. We know there's injustice. We know that not everything has been made right yet. The key word is yet. One day, my friends, God will come back. The risen Jesus Christ will come back, and he will right every wrong. The sufferings of these moments are just for now. Even the Psalms, for instance, out of the 150 Psalms, 65 of them are just on lament. They usually start with, why, O Lord, or how long, O Lord, or you have rejected us, O Lord. These Psalms are usually occasioned by bereavement, personal trouble, natural disaster, judgment of warfare, whatever it is. But the authors, all collectively, no matter what, they bring it to God. They bring it directly to him. So my friends, in your time of prayer, in your time of seeking the living God, are you allowing him full access to where you're at? If it's anger, if it's grief, it's, or if it's mourning, if it's joy, whatever it is, are you willing to let all that, give it all to him? This is one of these beautiful moments. I know for myself, when I've actually come to a place where I began that grief journey around my father passing, and actually really, really zoned into what that grief looked like, those were some of the best times of encounter where I knew God was with me, where God was with me. It didn't take away all the pain, but it sure made the pain easier. It doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier. 
And so in chapter 1, verse 3, we see that there's injustice and toleration of wrongdoing. Now, there's a few of us that have been really gifted by Jesus to have such a strong passion for injustice. And I praise Jesus for every one of you who have that passion. Because, again, look at our world. Israel, Hamas, Ukraine, Russia, Somalia, Haiti, North Korea. The list goes on and on and on. But also in our homes, too. There's broken relationships, maybe. Health crises. Maybe financial crises. What about in our groups? With our friends? Your small groups, if you're around the table and you're just hearing and praying for one another because of what's going on in our lives. Life isn't easy as a follower of Christ, my friends. But there is joy in that. But whatever it is, there's so much injustice in our midst. And sometimes we, sometimes we can even come to a place in our hearts and ask, does God even care about it? But we know that he does. Because the beautiful part about this passage is the very next part. God answers. God responds to Habakkuk. Look at verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are fear-dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than the wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come out from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. So God answers. It's great, right? Wait, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not to Habakkuk necessarily. Because it says God is going to bring justice to Judah. But he's going to use the nation Babylon to do it. Babylon. <laughs> Babylon is the most corrupt nation. And so if we skip ahead to Habakkuk's second complaint in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So Habakkuk's answer is basically, God, why are you using a, a nation more corrupt than ourselves to right the injustice. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Now, God works in many ways in our lives, but I think a lot of them, to us, maybe don't make sense. Look at the story of Job. Everything he lost. He lost his kids. He lost his livestock. He lost, every, lost his wealth. He lost it all. And eventually gets to a point where he has three friends that keep trying to encourage him and try to help him just process this, Job, you had to have just, you, you've had to have sinned against God, but he didn't. He was a righteous man, the scripture says. And Job gets to a point in his suffering where he calls God out. And so God shows up himself in the, in the form of a storm, but God doesn't answer Job's question directly. What does he do? He takes him on a virtual tour, if you will, of the world and shows him the birds of the sea, the skies, two two uh, beasts named Leviathan and Behemoth. But again, it's, it's these really weird things. But again, catch it. God does answer, but not in the way we always want. 
Because he says in Job chapter 38, verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? The way I handled the world, Job, could you handle it for even one day? So the question is, has God moved or is God moving in a way in our lives that quote-unquote don't make sense? God, I expected you to show up in this way. I prayed for healing and you didn't heal. I don't understand. We read the promises in Scripture that he's with us, but I don't feel it. If you're in that place, my friends, that's okay. Because when God makes a promise in his word, that is a promise that will be fulfilled. All promises in God's word have a fulfillment. And so, like verse 2 in chapter 1, does God seem silent in your life? And are we bringing all of this to God directly, all of their pain with emotion, whatever it is? Flip briefly with me to the book of 1 Samuel. I don't want to spend too much time here, but the book of 1 Samuel, I just want to read a few verses. So the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, this is the beginning of the book. Hannah approaches the temple. She's in a state of grief and mourning because she doesn't have a son. She feels that the Lord hasn't answered her prayer. Look with me at verse 10. 1 Samuel 1.10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now she kept on praying the Lord, or she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish. Catch verse 17. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. My friends, if Hannah wept bitterly, if she prayed honestly and addressed God directly, why can't we? Catch that. Please hear that. If Hannah wept bitterly, if Hannah prayed honestly, and if Hannah addressed God directly, then why can't we? God heard her prayer, and he answered in the form of the prophet Samuel to be one of the greatest prophets to ever live. All of God's promises have a fulfillment. Do we have the faith to hold on just a little bit longer? Even if, because we live in a culture that is so immersed in results-driven, where we want results, results immediately. But sometimes God's promises are a little bit more delayed than we want them to be. Are we okay with that? And do you believe that when, when you cry out to him, God hears your heart? Because this is a vitally, vitally important question. Do you believe that God hears you when you cry out to him and that he's here when you seek him? Rich Veloda is a pastor in Queens, New York. Um, I met him personally. He's a phenomenal guy. And he has this book called Good, Beautiful, and Kind, which I highly recommend. And in that book, he says this, we are called to be wounded healers. But he doesn't stop there. We are called to be wounded healers, but the first part of our healing requires us to be present 
to the wounds we have carried. My friends, are we willing to be present to the wounds we are carrying? Where you're sitting right now, do you believe you can bring your pain directly to God? And just as a personal example, really quick. So as one of the church planting pastors in our area, we have a collaboration once a month with other planters. And, you know, usually it starts with a time of brief prayer and then some announcements and then there's a teaching. But this time around, within the last two that we went to, we all just stopped. There was no announcements, period. We just said, hey, there's three situations going on. There is a, a pastor in Port Dover whose three-year-old son has leukemia. And they have tried everything they possibly can and it doesn't look good. Not only that, one of my friends who's a pastor in Toronto lost his dad two days before our meeting. Not only that, a couple that planted a church in Scarborough lost their nephew. So we just decided that we needed to just get on our knees and reach out to God. So all of us spent an hour and a half. This isn't myself patting anybody on the back, but we, we cried out to God for healing. We cried out to God. And we don't know what's going to happen but we trust God in this. We trust God with those kids. We trust God with those families because he cares for them. Even when God seems absent in the initial hurt, my friends, he is present in the grief in the morning. He is already and will continue to work. So point number one, addressing God directly with your pain. And point number two, have faith God will act in his way and his time. Flip back with me at Habakkuk and we'll start in chapter two. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, what an answer I'm to give to this complaint. So this is a posture of watchfulness, spiritual preparation of the prophets for hearing the word of the Lord. And this idea of being alert and ready for how God is going to speak, to act and, re and react. Is that our posture? When we cry out to God, do we have an alertness? Do we have our spiritual eyes and ears open? God, I'm ready to hear your voice. I'm ready to hear how you're going to act. I'm ready to hear how you're going to respond. Because even the book of Esther, God isn't even mentioned once in that book. Read it through. But does that mean he's not at work? Of course not. He is all over that story. So even when God doesn't explicitly seem to be present, quote unquote, in our lives, doesn't mean he's still not at work. Our God is... Definitely at work. And he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the end of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Do you believe, my friends, that God still speaks today? I'm not necessarily talking about audibly, but here at Christ Baptist Church, you guys hold the authority of God's word in such high honor. This is the ultimate authority. God's living, breathing word out in the Bible. This is a guaranteed place of encounter, my friends. Study it. Read it. Let it just wash through you. Let it transform you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as, as Habakkuk's waiting for God's response, he then responds. Look at verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. And not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the, the righteous person shall live by his faithfulness. So verse 3, what God's saying is, even though he's going to use the nation of Babylon to bring down the injustice in Judah, the nation of Babylon will also be brought down. This will come full circle. 
And we know, based on our history, in 539 B.C., the nation of Persia captured the nation of Babylon under King Cyrus. But here's the point around that. God may use corrupt nations, but he certainly does not endorse them, my friends. Please catch that. He, he may use them, but he doesn't endorse them. All are accountable. All nations and all people are accountable to God's justice. And then he says, though it linger, wait for it, for it will certainly come. Even if it lingers now, the fulfillment of God's promises are sure in our lives, my friends. Even if they linger now, even if they haven't been to direct fulfillment, though it linger, the fulfillment is sure. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us recognize his activity outside of our own experience. This is why we need each other. We are, a, we are not just individuals, but we are part of a local body. Invite others into your discipleship. Allow them to speak truth into your, into your lives. We are so, I know for myself, I have so many blind spots. I need my brothers and sisters to come alongside me. I'm just not strong enough on my own, my friends, and neither are you. We were created in community of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And we were created for community when Adam and Eve were together. So it's this idea that we were created for community. We were created for worship. And then in verse 4, but the righteous person shall live by faithfulness. And this idea of waiting in patient assurance that Yahweh will act as he promised. Because we know that God will vindicate his people. God will vindicate his people. And he will certainly vindicate us. And I'm not going to read verses 6 to 20, but basically God highlights five woes against the nation of Babylon two around unjust economics, slave labor, irresponsible leaders, and idolatry. But the reality is most nations will inevitably become a nation like Babylon. Even the Babylons of our day, God will intervene. God, in his right, in his timing, will right every wrong. So stay faithful, my friends. Stay patient. Stay watchful. Because our lives are not easy. And I can't promise you they'll get any easier. Because as scripture says in Revelation 18, that the nation of Babylon as a whole will be brought down by the nation of God. God will reign in his time and it will be beautiful. The city of man will be overthrown by the city of God where Jesus Christ comes and rights every wrong. Where he comes back, he brings us all to him and we see not just, we see the word of God, the living word of God face to face. And so in chapter 3, Habakkuk spends time pleading with God once again to bring down the corrupt nations. But here's the cool part about it. I love verse 2 in chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I love this verse because it's, it's basically saying that Habakkuk has heard the ways that God has moved in the past. There's a reason why God says, remember the Lord your God who brought your forefathers out of the land of Egypt. Why? Because in the times of trial, in the times of hostility, we need to remember the times that God was there for us in the past. If the God who was there for us in the past, who helped us overcome trials in the past, our prayer is, is do it again, Lord. If there's a revival in our church, if if one of our family members who doesn't know Christ came to Christ and now we're praying for one of our other family members, 
Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Because God will defeat evil. God will bring justice to all peoples. And God will rescue the oppressed and the captive. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10 says this. It's a beautiful prophecy. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those who with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. I'm just going to skip ahead to actually verse 9. No lion will be there, no ravenous beast. They will be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighting will flee away. What a beautiful picture, beautiful representation of what's to come. Friends, can we allow the spirit to draw us back to remember how God worked in our midst in the past? This is also vitally important. Something I know myself, I don't do enough. And crazily enough, it's usually other people that God uses to remind me of that. We, we are like horses. We have our own blind spots. This is why we need community around us to preach the gospel to us. Our call is not just to hear the gospel on a Sunday morning from the platform, but to continually in our lives preach it to one another. Because he will and he does care for us and he will bring everything to completion at the end. Do you believe that? Are you excited for that? I'm excited for that. As we get to verse 13 specifically in Habakkuk 3, it talks about you came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. And so anointed one in the context of the Old Testament talks about how they would have understood it as anointed one would have been the prophet Moses, probably the greatest leader to ever live, and also Joshua. Those two were quote-unquote anointed by God for their purposes. But in contrast to God's wrath on Babylon, there is a hope of salvation for God's own covenant people. And this anointing, if you will, this God's anointed people of Israel foreshadows the one who will become the ultimate source of salvation. He, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the anointed one, the fulfillment of God's promises. That Jesus Christ, God's anointed one, from the line of King David, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, my friends, is the reason why we can live unto him. Even in the midst of our trial, even in the midst of our pain, we have hope now. We have that hope in Christ. Are you living in that hope? We literally worship a God who walked out of the grave. Something that is absolutely impossible by human standards. God did the impossible. One man could take on all of our sins, nail it to the cross, would give his own life for you and for me. So we can stand in that authority that even in the midst of our suffering, we know the one who knew all suffering, the ultimate suffering. We worship the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of God's promise. And as we do that, it will lead to point number three is this, 
Praise the Lord. Our worship of God will turn from lament to praise. And this is the beautiful part about these psalms that I spoke of. That the ones that start in lament end in praise. Maybe their situations don't get any easier. Maybe ours don't get any easier. But we can still praise God in the midst of our situations. can still praise God in the midst of our struggles. Verse verse, uh, 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. This is a joyful song of praise from Habakkuk. Now, the context of verses 16 and 19 is, the nation of Judah was primarily an agrarian society, very agricultural So its main source of income would be on crops like figs, grapes, olives, and livestock. So sheep, goats, and cattle. And so what is Habakkuk saying? He says, even if all of this fails, even if I lose everything, even if I lose all my resources, my joy and my praise are not dependent on what I have, but on the source of it all. Even if I lose everything, I'll still praise the source. I'll still praise God. Because our praise and our joy are based on God's promises, not on our situations. And in the midst of our circumstances, my friends, there's an invitation. There's always an invitation to praise God in the midst of our circumstances. For what he's done. For what he continues to do. The way that the Father looks on each and every one of you. And says, you are my beloved son. You are, you are my beloved daughter. With whom I am well pleased. You were all created in the image of God. When God said, let us create man in our image, you are created in his image. Imago Dei is the Latin term. My friends, do you believe that? We are, the, we are God's most precious creation. I love in the book of Genesis, when it talks about he created the stars and the skies and the seas and the animals and the fish and the birds, he says they were good. But when he created man, he said it was very good. We are God's precious creation. And as God's precious creation, we have the ability to praise our creator, our Lord, our savior. Because in, in, in all this, like Habakkuk, we can experience his peace and his joy in the, midst of the, in the midst of the chaos. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I think we can all amen that. But that's not where it stops. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Can you proclaim with Habakkuk, with the disciples, the church fathers, the Christians who have walked this earth before us, that even if all in our lives fail, even if they're still lost, even if, there's, even if my trial does not end, I still have reason to praise the Lord. I still have reason to praise God. 
because our God knows and he cares for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, really quickly say this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, catch this. Let us then approach God's throne with grace, of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And as you do that, my friends, do not do it on your own. God has given you brothers and sisters in this church who love you so deeply. Bring this into community. Bring your pain, bring your suffering into community. Allow others into that space who can preach the gospel to you, who can pray with you. Man, the power of prayer is incredible. The church in the West needs to remember how powerful prayer actually is. The privilege we get to lift our brother, lift our sister up to the Most High God. That is a privilege. And to know that when we pray, God hears us. And in our trials, we can experience the peace and joy of Christ in our midst. His peace. The fact that he's overcome the world. I was having a conversation with someone around Advent around this. And they said something to me that really stuck with me around the peace of Christ. And they said this, perhaps the greatest evidence that the promised one is the mighty one of God is this. He is the one, the only one, with a power great enough to bring lasting peace. As a matter of fact, he is peace. Catch that. Jesus is the only one who brings a peace that lasts. But why does this all matter? Because <laughs> this is only found in Jesus Christ alone, my friends. The presence of Jesus Christ is one of the fundamental characteristics of the Messianic kingdom that's anticipated in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New. Even though Jesus Christ died, he didn't stay dead. We worship a resurrected and risen Lord. And with and with worshiping the one who paid it all, we know that the sufferings of this present time are not all there is. Catch Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Man, can you imagine? But they will be his people, and God himself will be, the, will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They will be no more, there will be no more mourning. No more death, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Can you imagine that day, my friends? No more suffering, no more grief, no more trials. Are you encountering God's presence right now in the midst of your trials? Where is the Holy Spirit inviting you into that? Where is he wanting to speak to you? And if you're not encountering God's presence right now, there's no guilt or shame around that. Please don't hear any part of that. But it's an invitation for all of us to draw near to the throne of grace. Just as I, just as I conclude, 
There's a story of a gentleman by the name of Horatio Spafford. Maybe you've heard of the story, maybe you haven't, but he was a successful lawyer and a devout church elder who put lots of, lots of his resources into property. And until October 1871, if, you, if we all know our history, that is the Great Chicago Fire, and it destroyed everything. He lost it all. Lost all of his resources, lost all of his investments. Two years later, as he's recovering from this great financial loss, he planned a trip to visit his friend D.L. Moody as he was preaching in Europe. And so because he got held back because of his investments, he put his wife and uh, four children on a boat and shipped them across Europe. Last minute, yeah, because the last minute business held him back, his wife and his kids left. And on November 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, their ship collided with, with another vessel and sank. On that day, 226 lives were lost, including all four of his daughters. Only his wife survived. Out of all, out of all of the passengers, only his wife survived. And so he eventually, as he's in a state of grief and mourning, he gets on a ship and he passes. He's heading to Europe to, to visit his wife, and he passes the wreckage site. And as he passes the wreckage site, he penned these words, which are now part of a powerful, famous hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. In, the, in that moment, Horatio went on to say that he had such a deep, powerful encounter with God in that moment that created that level of peace in his life. God doesn't promise to bring us out of our trials, my friends. But what he does promise is his presence in them. Do you believe that? And is that a reality for you? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, we come to you and we just ask and we plead that you would be present with us in the midst of our trials. Lord, whatever sorrows or troubles we are facing right now, may we know your peace like a river flowing through us, that we may too say, it is well with my soul. And Lord, I pray over all of us here today that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you be with those in this body who are going through trials, whether they're in a storm, they came out of a storm, or they're getting ready to go back into one. Father, would they know your presence like no other? Would you meet them in their time of prayer, meet them in their time of studying the word, meet them in their time with other believers? And just pray a blessing over Grace Baptist Church that the body of believers would be a people who seek God, who seek God. And as we seek you, Father, may that lead to an encounter with us, with you. We thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you're a God who listens, and that you're a God that's still on the move, and that the sufferings of this present life are not all there are. But you will come, and you will take us home, and we will be with you forever and ever. I praise you for these things in Jesus' name.